Find your place with me today, if you will, in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 15 to 18, and I invite you to follow along with me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. This you know that all those in Asia, that's not the continent of Asia, that's Asia Minor where the city of Ephesus was found. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Let's pray together. Lord, today we want to recognize that all of us have a role in lifting up others. All of us have a role in encouraging others. We might not be able to preach a sermon or sing a solo or teach a Sunday school or a Bible study class. There might be things that we can't do with teenagers or with children. Our skills are not there. But Lord, there isn't anyone listening to my voice today who can't lift up others by learning to be an encourager. I pray, Lord God, today that you'll speak to our hearts and help us to become people who stop tearing others down and start building others up. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. I want to talk with you for a few minutes today about a man that is a little bit obscure when it comes to what we know about him. You likely have read this passage of Scripture if you do regular Bible reading and you have read across his name. Maybe you didn't pronounce it properly, but you've read across that name and you just quickly moved through those verses and got on to the rest of the things that the Apostle Paul had to say. But it's important that we stop and we recognize that this man, Onesiphorus, is a key player in the life of the Apostle Paul. As far as we know, he never preached a sermon. He never sang a solo. He never taught a class. He never did anything in a public sense that we know of. But he was instrumental in the advancing of the gospel because he came to the Apostle Paul, and as it says here, he refreshed Paul. He was an encourager. He was somebody who lifted up the Apostle Paul. And from his life, we can learn that that's something that all of us should be doing. Every one of us should be involved in lifting up other people. And so today, we're talking about the encouragement of Onesiphorus. His name is five syllables long. I don't know very many people who name their children a name that's five syllables long. We don't know a lot about this man, but we know he comes from the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the central key cities of Asia Minor. It was a major, uh, major city of that day. We know that his household, all of them were believers in Jesus uh, because Paul mentions the household of Onesiphorus on two occasions, here in chapter 1 and then again in chapter 4. And we know that he helped the Apostle Paul. We know that he came to the aid of the Apostle Paul. But beyond that, we don't know a whole lot else about him except what the Apostle tells us here about this man and about what he did. And to understand the significance of the encouragement of Onesiphorus, I want you to think about it with me in these three specific statements. First of all, it was needed. It was needed. In other words, the refreshing that Paul needed came from Onesiphorus. It wasn't just something he wanted. It was something that he needed. Think with me about where Paul is as he writes this second epistle that we're reading from today. He is in that infamous prison, the Mamertine prison of Rome. This is the second imprisonment of the apostle Paul. He had been in prison before in Rome. It was a house arrest. He was able to hire a house, but he was chained to a guard 24-7, 
couldn't go outside of the house. He could entertain people coming to the house, but he couldn't leave the house himself. And then prior to that, he was in prison in Caesarea, two years in Caesarea, two years in Rome the first time, released and then continued his ministry. And now he's under arrest again, and he's placed in a prison. He knows that he's going to die in the Mamertine prison, that this was the place where you didn't go to stay for a long period of time, years and years. This was a place where you were held until your sentence was read, and then you were executed. And the Apostle Paul knows that his execution is coming. He doesn't know if it's days, weeks, or months, but he knows that his execution is coming. A little later in the book, he says, I've fought a good fight. I've run my course. I've finished, I've, I've finished my course. I've run the race. And he says, henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown. He knows that he's going to die because he's been placed in this Mamertine prison. To get a little bit of the feel of what it would have been like, I've brought a couple of pictures with me that I'm going to put on the screen for you. One of them is the floor of this Mamertine prison where you see a hole through which they would lower down the prisoners. It's covered by a grate today. And if you were to look at it, you would recognize why. You wouldn't want someone just to be walking across it and suddenly to fall through that open hole. But that is how the prisoners got into this lower chamber of this Mamertine prison. And there was more than one of these cells beneath the surface, subterranean cells beneath the surface. There are two that remain. If you go there and you uh, tour in this area, the second picture is down in that subterranean cell. You can see where they lowered them above, dropped them most of the time onto the floor beneath. There's a spring from which you could get water. But think about inside this Mamertine prison, this cell that's beneath the surface. There's no light, so it's dark, uh, it's damp, it's dingy, and might I suggest it's dirty. Uh, there are no facilities down here in that lower prison. There is a door that goes out here that leads to uh, the wastewater of the city, and they would take bodies after they had been killed, executed, throw them into that wastewater, and let it uh, just go down with the rest of the, uh, of the waste that was being carried away from the city. You can imagine the smell that would have been in that cell, and that's the kind of place where Paul is being held as a prisoner knowing that his death is imminent. It was needed. The encouragement of Onesiphorus was needed. It was needed. Here is a man who is imprisoned, and he needed someone to come to him to encourage him. It's interesting that if we took the time and went to the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, you would discover that while he's here in prison, that he makes a statement that you don't want to miss. He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. There's a lot of people I know that love this world way more than they ought to love this world. They're living in this world far deeper than they ought to be living in this world. And Demas was a man on two other occasions. In Colossians and Philemon, where he's mentioned in a favorable light, he had traveled with Paul. He was being mentored by Paul. But he saw the difficulties that Paul had whenever he was preaching the gospel. He saw how much trouble Paul got in by people who were opposed to him and who were persecuting him. And for some reason, on this occasion, other than we know that he loved this present world, he departs, he forsakes the Apostle Paul. Have you ever been in a place where somebody that you desperately needed just walked away from you and left you? He says he loved this present world. He went to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a major trading city of that day. It was a place where he could go, and there was a lot of commerce. There was a lot of opportunity for making money. There was a lot of opportunity for having the comforts of life. And he says, Paul says about Demas at the end of this book, he says that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. There's a lot of people sitting in churches today that when the world says get up and go, they get up and go. They never stopped to think about God. They never stopped to think about their relationship to God. They never stopped to think about the will of God. 
They just go where they want to go because they were told to go there. Because they love this present world. They want what this world has more than they want what God has to give them. And Demas was one of those kind. And here's the Apostle Paul in one of those prison cells like I showed you. You can imagine how depressing it could be down in that subterranean cell. And he's been forsaken by one of those who'd been traveling with him. And a matter of fact, a little bit later in chapter 4, when Paul talks about going before either the emperor Nero or before one of his officials... It says that no one, hear the words, no one stood with me. They all forsook me. No one stood with me. They all forsook me. And so the apostle Paul is here. By the way, he goes on to say, but the Lord stood with me. And aren't you thankful that when people leave you and you're all by yourself and you wonder where did everybody go, that you're never really alone if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior because he is always standing with you. He never leaves and he never forsakes his own. But you can imagine what Paul is, is experiencing. And he desperately needed the encouragement of Onesiphorus. He's in dire circumstances. He's alone in this jail cell. There's very little that many can do for him. He's going to die in a matter of days, weeks, or months. He knows his execution is coming. And when he goes before Nero for the trial, no, nobody stands with him. He's all there by himself. None of his friends are there to stand with him. He desperately needed somebody to lift him up. He desperately needed somebody to encourage him. By the way, it wasn't only Paul that needed the encouragement. Timothy needed the encouragement. I'm going to show you something out of your Bible that most of you won't see, but I hope you'll go with me because you're going to see it because I'm going to show it to you. And you don't even have to pay me for it. <laughs> Timothy was a young preacher. He was a pastor, had been sent by Paul to the city of Ephesus to set the church in order to get the church moving, to get officers in the church set, pastors and deacons in the church set, to turn back the false teaching that was going on. But something about Timothy that you need to know, he was a young man. Most of the people that were in the church apparently were much older than him. They could have been his father or his grandfathers. He was somewhat intimidated by the circumstances where he found himself, by the things he had to deal with, and by the people that were a part of the church. There was an intimidation factor, and I think Timothy probably had as well, sort of a retiring, shy kind of a personality. I understand that, a retiring, shy kind of a personality. And he needed the Apostle Paul to come and lift him up and encourage him. It wasn't only Paul who needed the encouragement of Onesiphorus. It was Timothy who needed to hear about the encouragement of Onesiphorus because Timothy needed encouragement. If you look back in chapter 1, you notice what he says? In verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You hear what he's saying? Timothy, Timothy, I understand you're, you're intimidated, but that didn't come from God. I understand your circumstances. I understand the, the people in the church are, are older than you. I understand your youth, that you don't feel very comfortable speaking to people much older than you in, in the fashion that you're having to do so. But, but don't you be intimidated. God didn't give you that spirit. He gave you the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. And then he goes on in verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And so what does he say? I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to stand there. I want you to proclaim the gospel. I don't want you to be ashamed of the gospel, and I don't want you to be ashamed of me. And Paul is encouraging this young preacher to stand there in the boldness and in the power of the, of, of the Almighty God and to proclaim the truth no matter how the people's faces look, no matter how they respond. You stand there and you do your job. And you do it in the power of the Spirit of God. But now notice, he's, he's encouraging this young man. Notice verse 12. Paul will go on talking about this message of the gospel 
that he just told Timothy, don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. But in verse 12, he says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, here we go. I am not ashamed. What was Paul not ashamed of? Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. The very thing that he was just telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul stands up and says, look, I'm an example of what I'm talking about. Use me as a means of encouragement in your life. As I was not ashamed, you should not be ashamed of this message. May I suggest to you for just a moment, none of us should ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we are. It's the reason you haven't spoken to your neighbors about the gospel. It's the reason you haven't spoken to some of your family members about the gospel. It's the reason why your coworkers and your friends, some of them at least, haven't heard the gospel from you. You don't want to think of it as being ashamed of the gospel. But you know the reprisals, you know the responses, you know the reactions. You find yourself as intimidated as Timothy found himself intimidated. And Paul comes to this young preacher and says, look, this is not right. You're not supposed to be intimidated. It doesn't matter what your youth is. I have sent you there. You have been trained for this. God has given you a gift for this. It's time for you to stand up and not be ashamed of the gospel in the same way that I've not been ashamed of the gospel. But then he moves to that second statement. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. But then he says, don't be ashamed of me either, his prisoner. And that's when he brings up the name Onesiphorus. Notice it again, verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and, here it is, was not ashamed of my chain. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the message you proclaim and don't be ashamed of me, the messenger of God. Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed of me. Yes, there will be suffering. Yes, there will be reprisals. Yes, there will be responses that are unpleasant. But don't be ashamed of the gospel. What is he doing? He's encouraging Timothy as Onesiphorus had encouraged Paul. Paul is now using the story of Onesiphorus to encourage this young preacher, do your job and do it in the power of the Spirit of God. The encouragement of Onesiphorus, it was needed it was needed by paul it was needed by timothy and though he never preached a sermon and as far as we know never sang a song and he never taught a class as far as we know he never did any kind of public ministry onesiphorus was not only impacting the the life of the apostle paul and thus the message of the gospel he was in, impacting through the life of the apostle paul a young preacher by the name of timothy He was lifting up Paul, and through Paul, he was lifting up Timothy, and through Timothy, he was lifting up dozens and dozens of other people as well. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Why is it important to be an encourager? Why is it important to be the kind of person who lifts up others rather than tears people down? You've seen it. You've been to social media. It's like being in middle school again. Tit for tat. I'm going to say about you whatever I want to say, and we're going to fight online like 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. It's incredible to watch, isn't it? Can I just tell you that we live in a world where encouragement is so desperately needed. I, I don't know if you see it or not, but if you don't see it, you just aren't looking. There's somebody sitting around you today, and they put on their Sunday best, and they got on a smile, and they look all happy, and they sang all good behind you or beside you or in front of you. And they'll leave here in a few minutes, and they'll be just as lonely when they left here as they were when they got here. 
because we come and silo ourselves in our seats. I understand COVID. I'm not talking about COVID. I understand some of that has to occur. I got that. But we silo ourselves in our seats and we forget to look around at the people that are coming to the service beside us. It is the reason you can't do online service forever. Because your presence here is to be impactful on somebody else whose presence is here. And their presence is to be impactful on somebody else's presence who is here. And we're supposed to be encouraging one another to do what? Go on for the Lord. Keep moving forward. Listening to one another's hurts and pains and problems and difficulties and struggles and heartaches. And being there to say, I'm here for you. I'm here to give you a hand up. I'm here to lift you up, not to tear you down. It was needed. It was needed for Paul. It was needed for Timothy. It was needed through both of these men in many different places. It was needed enough that it was written down in the Bible for you and me to read. Because everywhere we go... I don't know if you look carefully or not. Everywhere you go, have you noticed people are frustrated? They're crestfallen. They're slumped over shoulders. They're dragging along. There are people, not everybody, but there are people who desperately need somebody to say, let me help you up. It's needed. One of my favorite stories is the story of Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was the first African-American uh, Major League Baseball player. First African-American Major League Baseball player. He is the man who broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Now you stop and think about that for a moment. You talk about a subterranean cell to live in. What it would have been like for Jackie Robinson to go from one field to another field and to hear the jeers and the boos of the crowd because of the color of his skin whenever he ran onto the field. He was playing at his own home field in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. And he committed an error. You know, baseball players commit errors sometimes, don't they? You know, they miss a ball or they bobble it or they misthrow it. He committed an error. And everybody in the stands was angry. And they started booing Jackie Robinson, booing Jackie Robinson, booing and jeering Jackie Robinson. And he stood at second base all by himself. Until the shortstop, another name you'll recognize if you know anything about baseball, Pee Wee Reese, saw what was happening. Pee Wee Reese walked from shortstop over to second base where Jackie Robinson was standing. He put his arm around Jackie Robinson and he stood up facing the crowd next to Jackie Robinson. The story is that the crowd began to quiet down and people stopped their booing and people stopped their jeering. And the, 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 the fans grew quiet. Jackie Robinson would later say that that arm around my shoulder saved my career. Pee Wee Reese was to Jackie Robinson in those moments what Onesiphorus was to the Apostle Paul, what Onesiphorus was to Timothy, what Onesiphorus was to other people. He was somebody who stood by a person he put his arm around and he said, look, I stand here with you. There's a quote that says this, no problem is ever as dark when you have a friend to face it with you. No problem is ever as dark when you have a friend to face it with you. And the apostle Paul had a friend in the man Onesiphorus. Now, I have to tell you something about Onesiphorus. We're not going to get into this debate today, but I'm going to tell you about it. Is the Apostle Paul remembering what Onesiphorus did for him in his early Roman imprisonment and has since died, and Paul is simply re 
uh, remembering what had happened, what Onesiphorus had done for him. Some scholars believe that's the case because in this passage, Paul addresses the household of Onesiphorus rather than Onesiphorus directly. Or is Onesiphorus still alive and did he make his way to Rome and did he find the apostle Paul and spend some time with the apostle Paul bringing refreshment to the apostle Paul? We're not going to argue this point. I have an opinion. If you want to know what it is, you can ask me afterwards. I have an opinion. Opinions are a dime a dozen. But what I do know about Onesiphorus is that he lived up to his name. His name means help bringer. It means benefit bringer. It means profit bearing. Can you imagine when he was just a, uh, you know, just a being uh, formed in his mother's womb and they're thinking about a name for their child? You, you think about the names for your children, don't you? Absolutely. You don't. You think about the names of your children. You want a name that means something specific, a name that has an attachment to somebody or something that's special to you. Can you imagine this parent, these parents, as they were getting ready to bring into this world a little baby, and they were thinking, what are we going to name him? What are we going to name him? What do we want him to be? What we want him to be is a help bringer. We want him to be a refresher. We want him to be an encourager. What a wonderful ambition for your children. Amen? Amen. What a wonderful ambition for your children. The encouragement of Onesiphorus, it was needed. Paul needed it, whether in his second Roman imprisonment or his first Roman imprisonment. And by the way, the apostle Paul spent three years in the city of Ephesus And do you know where he spent a lot of his time in Ephesus? Even when there were riots against Paul, he spent them with the household of Onesiphorus. I mean, this man, whether in Ephesus, whether in Rome, first imprisonment, or whether in Rome, second imprisonment, in that subterranean cell, This man had been an encouragement to the apostle Paul. And we won't know till we get to heaven. We won't know till we get to heaven what impact that encouragement had on the the apostle Paul reaching more and more and more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I suggest to you, he's going to walk the streets of heaven and he's going to be rewarded by the Lord. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul says. That's that's what the Apostle Paul says here. Look look at chapter 4. No, I'm sorry. Look at chapter 1, verse 16. Y'all are in the wrong chapter. Y'all should know that. In verse 18, he says, The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord. Where Here it is. In that day. In other words, he says, when when he stands before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, I pray, my wish for him is that the Lord will reward him greatly. You know why? Because Paul's spirits had been lifted. Through Paul, the life of Onesiphorus had lifted the spirits of young Timothy. Through Timothy, many other people's spirits had been lifted. By the way, today, 2021... The life of Onesiphorus is still lifting people up because we're still preaching it. We're still telling you the truth about it. The encouragement of Onesiphorus, it was needed. Number two, the encouragement of Onesiphorus, it was needed. Number two, it was repeated. It was repeated. I want you to go back, verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he, notice the next word, often refreshed me. That word refreshed means exactly what you think it means. Think think of yourself outside in the the hot sun. the, The rays of the sun are just beating down on you. Maybe you're pushing a lawnmower. Maybe you're running a weed eater. Maybe you're working in your flower beds. You're doing something, and water's pouring off of you. For the ladies, you're glistening. Water is pouring out of your body. Your body is trying to cool itself down. Water is pouring out of your body. 
Your tongue is parched. You are so thirsty. You're thinking if my husband or my wife or one of my children would only see my desperate circumstances and bring me an iced tea, an iced, cold, sweet, southern tea. And maybe your husband or maybe your wife or maybe one of your children sees you out there and recognizes, I've got to go out there and do something for my, my loved one. I've got to go out there and help them in this particular moment. And they get that ice cold. You know, you can see the glass. It's sweating all around. You, you can see the ice cubes inside. You, you can almost taste the tea in your mouth, can't you? And you carry it out and you give it to that loved one and they turn it up. Oh, oh I feel so, what word? I feel so refreshed. That's what happened when Onesiphorus showed up to lift up the Apostle Paul. But he didn't just bring him one glass of tea. He came again and again and again and again. I'm sort of giving away my opinion about whether he's alive or dead at this moment. He came again and again and again. You understand? He had to make the journey from Ephesus. He had to expend his own money to get there. When he got to Rome the first time, he had to find where I just gave it away. He had to get he had to tell he had to find where Paul was. Can you imagine him walking through the cities? I mean, Roman uh, Paul is considered in Rome an insurrectionist. I mean, Paul is troubled. You don't want to be around Paul. You, you don't want to be near that man. He's the one who, who's a part of this group that, that's turning people to Christ and turning them away from the emperor. I mean, the, the emperor worship. He's turning them away from the emperor worship. Can you see Onesiphorus coming from Ephesus? He had refreshed Paul in Ephesus. He comes to Rome and he starts looking around. He starts looking. For, have you seen Paul? Do you, do you know where Paul is? You have any? You have any idea where, where he is? is? Is he down at the Mamertine prison? No, no, he's not down there. Do you know where? Is it? Is he under house arrest? Where, where are they keeping him? Somebody calls him aside. Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus, ah, be careful. Don't you understand? You get associated with Paul. You understand what it might cost you. You remember the price that you may have to pay as a result of connecting yourself to the Apostle Paul. And what do you think Onesiphorus does? The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often, 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 often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. He often refreshed me. He came again and again and again and again and again and again. The encouragement of Onesiphorus, it was needed. It was repeated. Hey, you put your arm around a Jackie Robinson on the field and you stand with him, with him there one time. Thank you. Thank you. But I got news for you. You need to go stand with Jackie Robinson and put your arm around his, his shoulder again and again and again and again and again. We ought to be bringing the encouragement over and over and over, even if it's the same person again and again and again and again. There are people all around you. There are people in the workforce where you are. There are people on the job site. There are people in your neighborhood. There's people in your family. They cover it up. Nobody knows, but deep down inside, they don't need you to show up once. They need you to show up again and again and again. And Onesiphorus came over and over repeatedly. He often refreshed me. He brought me that cup of, or that glass of cold iced tea over and over and over again. But that brings me to say thirdly, because I'm running out of time. It was needed. It was repeated. It was, are you ready? It was appreciated. It was appreciated. Two times in three verses Paul uses the word mercy. Did you see it? Did you pay attention to it? Look at it. Verse 16. 
the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Verse 18, the Lord grant to him that he may find what? Mercy from the Lord in that day. In other words, that he'll be rewarded for bringing that tea to me over and over and over again. God, show him mercy on that day. Reward him for what he's done. And the apostle Paul mentions it twice and wants him to experience the reward because Paul appreciated that Onesiphorus showed up over and over and over again for the sake of time I want to give you the application here and I hope you'll write down these five statements you want to be a person that lifts up others you want to be a person that encourages other people Number one, stop talking and listen to people more. Have you ever noticed on occasion you'll sit down with somebody and you think you're going to have a conversation, but it's one way? And they do all the talking? By the way, sometimes it's you that does all the talking. You sit down and talk about all of your problems and all the things that you're doing and all that's going on in your life and all that's happening for you. And you never take a moment to stop and listen, ask a few questions, find out something about the other person's life, get beyond the surface and look at the heart and see what's going on beneath the surface. Number two, be understanding and not dismissive. Be understanding and not dismissive. Do you know what I mean by dismissive? My, my mother said this particular phrase. I've heard some of you say your parents taught it to you as well, so it's not unique to me. But my mother said this to me. I, if she said it once, she said it a thousand times while I was growing up. Whenever there was a problem going on, something in my life wasn't like it was supposed to be, she would, she would inevitably say, this too shall pass, Davy. This too shall pass, Davy. This too shall pass, Davy. Now, look. I have said that, and I still say that to this day, and I thank God for hearing it. But, you know, we, we've got a whole list of things that we say to people to just sort of get them off our plate as quickly as possible. Get on, get on. I heard enough. That's enough. That's enough. Get, move on down. If you're going to be somebody who lifts up others, you've got to be understanding. You've got to try to put yourself in their shoes. What did Jesus do? Jesus didn't try to save us from heaven by using something that was already here. Jesus descended and took on himself the form of a servant. He suffered the ignominious death of the cross. He was placed in a tomb, and he rose again. He came, and he identified with us. And what does it say about him? We have a great high priest who can sympathize. He understands. We have to go get to the place where we stop, just ah, get off my plate. That's enough. I've heard enough. Move on, move on down the road here. And we stop and we understand. We try to put ourselves in the shoes of the other person and try to understand and not just use our little cliches to get out of the conversation because you don't want to hear anymore. Number three, we've got to console with compassionate action, not cliches. We've got to console with compassionate action, not cliches. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say to you. Saying to somebody, God bless you, or saying to somebody, I, I'm praying for you, those are things we should say. Those are things we should do, but for most of us, they're a little more than cliches. We don't ever pray for that person. Or if we do, it's, Lord, you saw them, you heard them, oh, amen. They're cliches. They're means of moving them along, get them off my plate. I'm just going to push it along. You know what? If you're going to be a person that lifts up, you've got to console with compassionate action. Onesiphorus didn't do that from Ephesus. He didn't say, oh, you know, Rome's over, I mean, uh, Paul's over there in Rome. Oh, man, I hope he's okay. I hope he's okay. Paul made the trip and 
brought refreshment to the Apostle Paul. He brought the proverbial tea to, that cold iced tea to the Apostle Paul. He consoled with compassionate action. You know, sometimes you just need to sit down and write that note out. Sometimes you just need to go over and help them fix what's broken. Sometimes you just need to lay aside what you think is so important and say, you know what, that little lady's driveway over there ought to be shoveled with snow from the snow because if there's an emergency, she needs to get out. Do you get what I'm saying? Anybody with me? Number four, pray with people rather than preach to them. And there's always somebody that says, well, let me tell you, I, I want to tell you, you wouldn't be in this mess if you had. Or let me give you three steps for solving your problem. By the way, all of you men, listen to me. If you're a married man, just listen to me. Here's, here's what you need to know about your wife. If she brings you a problem, she's not looking for you to solve it. She's looking for you to affirm that you understand she's got a problem. You say, I understand. You hug her and say, I love you. Anything you want me to do, I'll do for you. You don't say, let me give you three ways to keep from this ever happening again. <laughs> it's not just our wives, though. We, we have this tendency to want to preach to people. You're in this mess. You wouldn't be laying out there in the gutter if you hadn't this, that, and the other. And what we ought to do is say, you know what? I'm not going to preach to you today. Can we just bow our heads together? I want to pray for you. I, I want to put my arm around you. I want to stand here on second base, and I want to face the crowd. And I want to ask God to help you and to help me to help you. And number five, and finally, are you with me? Don't just send a message, be a messenger. Don't just send a message, be a messenger. I think social media and sometimes texting has, a, has become a cop-out for showing up. Sending a message rather than being the messenger. You don't have to even say anything. You just show up and you stand there with them and you put your arm around them and you just show them some love and you listen to them and you shut your mouth and stop talking about all your problems and listen to them and have compassion on them and where you can do something for them, you do something for them. If it means cooking a meal or answering the phone, you do it for them. You don't get preachy. Yeah, let me tell you, you wouldn't be in this mess if you'd done this, that, and the other. And you show up as a messenger because what Paul needed from Onesiphorus wasn't a text message. What Paul needed from Onesiphorus was for Onesiphorus to come from Ephesus and look for him in Rome and say, Paul, I'm here to sit with you and to listen to you and to talk to you. By the way, there's a movie that came out in 2018. Jim Caviezel plays the part of Luke. It's, the, it's called Paul, Apostle of Christ. You can rent it or you can buy it on Amazon. You better be prepared if you do so. They take the two Roman imprisonments and they sort of mix them together. They take cinematic license. They always seem to do that, cinematic license. But you can go and you can watch and you can see how even Luke, do you know what he says here at the end of chapter 2? Go back to chapter 4 for a moment. Chapter 4, I mean. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Go back there for a moment. Verse, verse 9. He's talking to Timothy. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. In other words, those two went away for good reasons. They were sent away for good reasons. Only... Luke is with me. Do you know what Paul needed in those moments? Do you know what Paul needed in those moments? Paul needed somebody with skin on. And people need somebody with skin on, right? 
Listen, this is another occasion. I, I'm, 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 I'm running out of time here. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, another total situation altogether. Now listen, are you with me? Everybody over here with me? Y'all, y'all with me over here? This is, this is what it says. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, this is Paul talking, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, verse 6, Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. I don't think the Apostle Paul, first of all, he wouldn't have had a, he wouldn't have had a phone in the jail cell, right? He likely wouldn't have had a social media account. I don't think Paul would have been happy with a way a lot of us behave ourselves on social media. He didn't need somebody to text him a message. He needed somebody to show up, and Titus showed up, and Luke showed up, and Onesiphorus showed up, and they were there. We need people to be there. We need to lift up others. Stop tearing people down. As one passage said this week I was reading, we bite and we devour and we destroy the very antithesis of what we ought to be doing, building up and lifting up and encouraging people up and being there in person whenever it's possible to be that encouragement. Can I just finish by saying this? Everybody needs a cheerleader. Now, if you're married to a lady that was a cheerleader or a man that was a cheerleader, you, you better thank God you got one. Everybody needs a cheerleader. Everybody needs a cheerleader. I don't know if you watched the football game last night. I watched the Alabama-Texas A&M game. I'll not talk about that because we have some Alabama fans in the, that, that are in the church, and I, I don't want them to be grieving unnecessarily so. Uh, on this day, but I will mention that the Georgia Bulldogs won <laughs> in our 6-0. and But beyond that, I'll leave the rest of that alone. Occasionally during the football game, they take the cameras and they would scan the crowds. I mean, that stadium was packed, I think 100,000 or so in the, in the stands. The stadium was packed. But every once in a while, you could see it written across above where some of the stands were, home of the 12th man. Right there were those electronic signs that go all the way around the stadium. Home of the 12th man. I don't know if you've ever read that story. Go home and Google it. The 12th man in Texas A&M. It is, it's an incredible story about a man who comes down from out of, the, out of the crowd, suits up to be ready to play with Texas A&M way back in the early 1900s. But that little statement, the 12th man is something that we use even to this day. You know what it means? On a football field, you could have 11 players from each team on the field of play at any given time. You can have dozens on the side. They do have dozens. You know, coaches and medical personnel and trainers, physical trainers, all those people on the sidelines, but you can only have 11 people from each team on the field at any given time. And if you happen to be in your home stadium... You have a distinct advantage because you have a 12th man. And do you know who the 12th man is? It's the fans that are in the stands that are cheering, come on, you can do this. You can get the touchdown. You can get the first down. You can get through. You can stop the next play. You can be a good defense. Sometimes it's yelling at the referees. <laughs> I don't know if it was this way for you, but in 2020, when nobody was in the stands, I didn't want to watch baseball. I didn't want to watch football. I didn't want to watch golf. I didn't want to watch anything. There isn't anything more boring than sports with nobody there as the 12th man. Everybody needs a 12th man. They need somebody in the stands 
Okay, come on, come on. You can do this. Come on, I'm with you. You don't have to do it alone. I'm going to stand by you. Come on, come on. I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but you got to go with me. Come on, come on. We can make it through this. We're going to pray through this. We're going to get through this through the power of God. We're going to go forward. Come on, come on. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Everybody needs a 12th man. And that's what God is calling you to be to other people is a 12th man. And he didn't just buy... (laughs) There are some people who have the gift of encouragement. That's a spiritual gift like serving, like giving, like administration. that's, That's one of the, like mercy, that's one of the spiritual gifts that are given to believers. And some people have the gift of encouragement. I can tell you, I, at least if I've gotten the chance to know you, I can tell you out of our congregation who has the gift of encouragement because I gravitate toward them. You do too. They don't even have to work at it. It's a supernatural thing. God enables them. They've never seen a fence too high that they couldn't get over. They've never seen a problem too, too difficult that you couldn't get through. They're just positive people. That isn't me. And it isn't most of you. We see the glass not half full. We see the glass half empty. And we need somebody to come along beside us and to help us to see the blessings that we really do have. And we need to be, it's not just those who have the gift of encouragement that are supposed to be lifting up others. It is every one of us to be lifting up others. Every one of us to be lifting up others. Every one of us. Whether you've got that gift or you have to work at being an encouragement If you can get yourself to a stadium to be the 12th man for a football game, you can be the 12th man for the people of God's church and people in your community that need a cheerleader.